Today's the last sermon in a series called Fulfilled, and what we're going to talk about is the one last festival that Jesus completely fulfilled, and that, of course, is Passover. And I want to remind you of something I said earlier, and that is that these festivals, these remembering signs which were placed in the community of God, they were placed in God's people to, to remind them of what God had already done. But they were not just these historical remembrances. You know, we have days uh, that we just remember like an event in history, Armistice Day or, or something like that, where we just kind of remember that day. But these days that God placed in his people had spiritual significance. They had an importance. They actually had a, a spiritual connection to God. They pointed back to the historical event and they helped people remember, but then they had a present day impact as well because when people participated in these, in these events, in these uh, remembering signs, they were not just symbolically connected to the event, but they were spiritually connected to the event. Even more, these events pointed to a messianic future, a future that would be the ultimate expression of, of God's redemption because Passover was all about God's redemption. So let's read for a second about the first Passover, the very first one in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month of the first month of, the, of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must uh, share one with the near, their nearest neighbor. And having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. And the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from sheep or from goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head and legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and then I will see the blood and I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. And do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. 
And then skipping down to verse 21, so Moses commanded all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put it on, some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants, and then you enter, and when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshipped. And the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. This was a great historical event. This was a place where God broke into history and he demonstrated that he was sovereign. He was the God over these other gods and over the Egyptians who believed that they were the most powerful thing in the universe. And he wanted them to remember and participate and be grateful for this redemption. And later when they would come into the land, they were to occupy, the, the rules would change a little bit. And we find this in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy meaning second. It was the second time that Moses was going to tell them these things. And he was standing on the Jordan River just before they were going to go in and take uh, over the land. And he, he tells them this. He says, observe the month of Abib. Uh, by keeping the Passover to the Lord your God, for it is in the month of Abib the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd at the place that the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. You must not eat it, anything leavened. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and with the bread of affliction. Because you came out of the land of Egypt in great haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the day of your departure from the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory for seven days, and none of the meat of what you slaughter on the evening of the first day shall remain until morning. You are not permitted to offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, only there shall you offer the Passover sacrifice. In the evening at sunset, the time of day when you departed Egypt, you shall cook it and eat it at the place the Lord your God will choose. The next morning you may go back to your tents. For six days you shall continue to eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly for the Lord your God when you shall do no work. So this was the event, this, this exodus out of Egypt, the firstborn being killed, and the blood on the doorposts. This was the first one. And then when they got to the promised land, when they established a temple, this is how they were to remember it. But the remembering would not only help them understand what, what it was, it helped them understand what was coming. 
See, by the time we get to Jesus, Passover had adopted a few more rules and rituals because as the years went by, they added on. As the years went by, they had a temple and they had a priesthood, and so they began to add things to it. By the time the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was biblically was to follow it, it was now included, it was all together with Passover. And representatives would, would from each family would prepare Passover. First, they would have the priests slaughter a lamb for them in the temple the day before, the day of preparation. And then they would return uh, it for the later meal. Others would prepare the other dishes. They would kind of get together as a family and figure this out. And because Passover had to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem, most homes had guest houses or guest rooms attached to them because all the family from the countryside and from the, the various places would come into Jerusalem at Passover because the Passover meal had to be eaten in Jerusalem. Moses had said it, in the place where God's name dwells, that's where you're to eat it, not just everywhere and anywhere, only there. Passover would be eaten at night in April at the time of Passover, sundown in Jerusalem came at about 6 p.m., and so the meal would start about then. They would be in this room all together, and, and table fellowship was intimate at the feast. It was, everybody was really close. You know, we think about our houses today, and I was, I was reading something the other day that said the average size house in 1950-something was about 1,200 square feet. Um, that's the average size downstairs in most houses today, right? The average size house in Israel was much smaller. So in their main room, they would have had these 10 people at least. In fact, it had to be a minimum of 10 people. Together, they would have all been very close together. And they would have been sharing the table. Jesus and his closest disciples would have made up one, one family unit, if you will. And the usual posture at, this, at the, the meals was to be sitting, but because of it was a festival and a feast, sometimes they would be reclining, like in the Greek fashion. You had, of course, the, the lamb, and you also had... Uh, wine there, but you also had bitter herbs that you were commanded to eat. Bitter herbs, it was to remind them, to remind them of the bitterness of being in slavery. Sometimes they would dip it into a mixture of nuts and fruit and, and vinegar to lessen their bitterness. It was customary for the head of the household to give thanks for the bread and for the wine before any meal, but a special blessings were said over the bread and the wine at the Passover meal. In fact, there were four different times when a blessing was, was said. The cup that Jesus passed around may have been the third or the fourth cup. And the leader would take the goblet in both hands and he would hold it up in his right hand and hold it above the table and he would pronounce a blessing on it. And you might be thinking, well, this is all very interesting. Thank you for these facts. I could have looked it up in, in Google. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? This is all kind of a little bit boring. Why is it significant? It's significant is because Scripture shows us that Jesus is the Passover. Jesus 
is the ultimate expression of all that event and that festival was meant to express. He is the fulfillment, the ultimate Passover. And that's what I want to show you today. You see, first, Jesus is the unleavened bread that they ate. Jesus himself explains this in Matthew 26. In verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. See, we've already talked about in this sermon series about how Jesus was the bread from heaven. He was the manna from heaven. He was the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And we've already talked about how he lived just like we did. He was tempted just like we are, yet he did not sin. Sometimes sin is talked about as leaven, the yeast that gets into bread dough. Just a little bit of yeast goes in there, but it affects the whole loaf. Jesus is the unleavened bread. But there's even more. You see, in order to cook unleavened bread, you can't just roll it out and, and cook it. What they have to do is they have to poke holes in it. Otherwise, it won't cook all the way through. The, the top will be crispy, and the, or the, the top will be undone, and the bottom will be too crispy. And so you poke holes in it so that it cooks evenly. And when you do that, one of the things that happens is it, it cooks in such a way that it ends up getting stripes on it. This is called bread of affliction that our fathers ate in Egypt. But Jesus, instead of saying, here's the bread of affliction, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, in John 19, it's reflected that then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged by his stripes for a heel. And so when we take the bread, we notice the stripes. And he was pierced in his hands and his feet. And the bread that we take in is pierced, has holes in it. Jesus is the ultimate expression of the unleavened bread. Jesus is the blood over the doorposts and the wine in the cup. We've talked about this as well because we've talked about the sacrifices and we talked about atonement and the, the sacrifices in the other festivals. We talked about how, how the blood of atonement was required. Here's what it says in Hebrews 9. In the case of a will, it's necessarily necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Psalm 57.1 Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
John 19, 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it to Jesus' lips. You see, the blood of the Passover lamb was placed on hyssop and wiped against the doors. John, in using hyssop, and in the other Gospels it says a reed or a stick was used, but John says, no, it was hyssop. Because that's what they used to sprinkle the blood on all of us. He's evoking the image as a real impact, uh, of the real impact of the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the blood over the doorframe. Jesus is the blood in the drink. Jesus is our Passover. His experience, betrayal, rejection, and, and crucifixion is the bitter herbs that they would take in. In the beginning of, of Passover, bitter herbs was to remind them of the suffering that they experienced in Egypt, but Jesus took on their suffering. John 13, starting in verse 21, it says, And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Of them and the, the disciple, <clears throat> one of them, the disciple that Jesus loved was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter mentioned to that disciple and said, ask him which one he means. It's Jesus. He asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, the one in whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. What a bitter herbs is what he was dipping in the dish of. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took it, the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling them to buy what was needed for the festival or go, some, go give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was night. How bitter the betrayal of Jesus must have been. How brutal it must have been. In chapter 13, before this story, Jesus had just washed all of the disciples' feet, including Judas. How bitter the betrayal. How bitter the betrayal when they screamed, give us Barabbas. How bitter the betrayal when they said, crucify him. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus and his sufferings became the bitter herbs. He was the ultimate fulfillment the bitter herbs. Have you noticed that in the Lord's Supper there is no bitter herbs? Where did that go? Have you noticed that we take in the bread and we take in the wine, but not the bitter herbs? Why? He took them for us. He's already done it. 
Jesus' experience was the bitter herbs and he fulfilled it so that we don't have to. It was put on him so that we don't have to. And finally today, Jesus is the Passover lamb. You see, the other Gospels record Jesus at the Passover meal. They record Jesus instituting a new thing, transforming the Passover, something that he, he certainly did do, right? But the book of John deals with it differently. He makes a, a different point than the synoptic Gospels make. See, there's many ways to try and synchronize the stories, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you take John, you go, wait a minute, the days are off. How do we, how do, we do this? And some people go through all kinds of uh, mental gymnastics trying to get them all to fit together. I think the more important thing is, is the point that John is making as he tells of the crucifixion. See, rather than Jesus telling the meaning of the broken bread and the wine, John doesn't do that. John instead shares the story in such a way that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. First, he was without sin, tempted in every way but without sin, the perfect sacrifice, flawless, without blemish. In the middle of the crucifixion story, in John, Jesus says this in John chapter 18. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. Jesus said, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said to this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. You see, in every single instance where they tried to catch Jesus doing something wrong, they failed. Every single time they, asked, they, they, they accused him of something and he would ask them questions and they would walk away. If Jesus had sinned, they would have brought evidence. They would have brought this to court. They would have brought this to trial. They would have pointed at him and said, hey, see what he did wrong. But Jesus did nothing wrong. And they never accused him of sin because they never had an accusation to make. He was without sin. Ultimately, they had nothing other than his claims to do, which were true. Which were true. Jesus was without sin, the spotless lamb. Jesus was crucified on the day when the Passover lambs were sacrificed the day before the Passover. In the book of John, John 19, 9, <clears throat> starting in verse 13, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. And here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the priest answered. And then finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And John points it out, right? It was the day of preparation of the Passover. That was the day they were to sacrifice the lambs. That was the day they took all the lambs to the priest, and the priest would, would sacrifice them because not anybody could kill the lambs. 
And so they would have to send a representative from their family with the lamb into the temple, and the priest would offer the sacrifice, and then they would take the lamb back home for the Passover meal. Jesus is the Passover lamb. In 1934, instead of one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, this is at the end of the crucifixion, with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, and the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you may believe. These things have happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. As another scripture says, they will look on the one that appears. You see, this was another event that happened during the crucifixion. Jesus was pierced. They put the, the sword up into his side after he was already dead. And remember, we talked about the flow of water and of blood and how that fulfilled what the priests were doing at the, at the altar in the Feast of Tabernacles. But he was pierced, and not one of his bones was broken. Exodus 12.46 says that the, the lamb must be eaten inside the house. Take none of it of the meat outside of the house and do not break any of the bones. And in verse 9 it says, don't eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head and the legs and the internal organs. I don't know about you, but how do you roast a whole lamb, a year old lamb over a fire? How do you do that? You, you spit it on a pole. You pierce it on a pole. That was our Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And Paul confirms this, that indeed this was the teaching of the early church in 1 Corinthians 5-7, using the Passover meal as an analogy for getting rid of the sin that was in the church. He talks about the unleavened bread, but then he also says this in 1 Corinthians 5-7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you are ready for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he was in the process of fulfilling the Passover. And in the middle of that moment, he instituted something which reminded them of the old, but it called into being something brand new. You see, we cannot celebrate the biblical Passover today. We can't. We can't go out and have a lamb that is sacrificed by the priest in Jerusalem. We can't do it. And that's what the law required. There was no opportunity in the law to say, well, uh, because the priests aren't available, we can do this now. Where does it say that in Scripture? It doesn't. We can't eat the meal in Jerusalem. That way of relating to God has come to a, a close. The temple was cast down every single stone. Jesus said it would happen, and it happened. The genealogies of the priests are gone. There is no priesthood. Rabbis are not priests. They're not of the house of Aaron. We can't participate in that. It's come to a close because Jesus fulfilled it completely. He fulfilled it. But in doing so, he placed in his people a new remembering sign. Communion. He would disconnect it from the Jews and their remembering sign of being taken out of Egypt 
He would break bread, bread which is universal in all cultures, even bread without leaven. He would drink the cup, which is also pretty universal. And one last thing, that rather than something we do on the outside, something that happens as a symbol, instead, with communion, we take it in to us. We take it into us. We participate in it by taking it into ourselves. We take in Jesus, whose body was broken for us. We take in Jesus, whose blood was spilled for our sins. And we remember not the freedom of a people in the near Middle East who were freed from slavery. We remember a world that was freed from sin and death. You see, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover. He completely filled it up. He completely fulfilled it. He completely took it and became what it was meant to be. It pointed to him the whole time. And he fulfilled it. As the fulfillment of Passover, the question for you today is, is he your fulfillment of Passover? Is he yours? We'll be participating in communion. The new that came from the fulfillment of the former. And we don't participate in it symbolically. That is to say that we believe there's something spiritually significant that occurs when we participate. Paul even said that. He said, don't do this lightly, he said to the Corinthians. This is why some of you are, are, are having problems. There's a spiritual connection there. And so today we ask that only those who have uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and personally participated in baptism, indicating that they're following Jesus, those are the ones for whom we ask would participate in communion. And if you have taken those steps, then you're, you're welcome to come and take in Jesus. Jesus, who was the complete and total fulfillment of that old agreement and ushered in a new way of being in relationship with God, a new way with new remembering signs. Passover was fulfilled, but communion is just beginning. I'm going to ask that we play some music. I don't know, I didn't talk to the tech team before, but we probably have some from the last time. And as that music begins to play, I would invite you to come up as a family or individuals or gather together with the people that are around you and participate in communion. Take the body which was broken and thank God for it. Thank Jesus for what he did for us. Take in the juice, which is that symbol of his blood which was spilled for us. Because as he fulfilled that old covenant, he instituted a new covenant. The former is gone, but the new is here. And this is our entrance into it. Take Jesus in and let him transform you. Let's enter into communion. Dear Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us because you took us out of Egypt. 
what was typed in the Old Testament was a type of what you would do for us. What you did as a type for the Jews, you've done for the whole world. Now there is neither Jew nor Gentile because in Christ we're one. You are the God who is our Redeemer. Jesus, you fulfilled the entire old agreement. No part of it was left undone. You fulfilled it all. And God, I just pray that as we have looked at all the different places where Jesus has fulfilled these things, that it would make our heart grow with incredible gratitude, that we would look at what Jesus has done and say, I will follow you. You deserve my worship. You deserve for me to follow you because you took on my sin. You were the atoning sacrifice. You were the bread of life. You were the blood that covers my sins. You're the water that was turned to wine. Jesus, it's all you. pray that if anyone is not giving you their life, that they would do so today, that they would say, Jesus, I will follow you, not because my parents did, not because I'm expected to, not because uh, somebody's putting pressure on me or any other thing, but God, because they understand that it is time. thank you for your word. I thank you for the teaching that it gives us. And I pray, Lord, that we would indeed follow you. And Jesus, let us proclaim that you are the fulfillment as we invite others to participate in what you've done for us. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name.